This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of Footnotes. I'm your host, Jamar Tisby, bringing news and views to help you become a more informed citizen, activist, and believer. On this episode, we talk about the tragic death of Rachel Held Evans, new evidence about Oscar Grant and Sandra Bland, and President Trump gets his highest approval ratings yet. But before that, some quick updates. We're up to 64 ratings on iTunes. 64, and that's after just a one-minute teaser episode and only one full episode. You all are amazing. Thank you. I want to read you one of those reviews. This one is from D.D. Rowe. She says, Breaking down the news from a black Christian perspective. With this podcast, Jamar continues to help the black community build its own table instead of asking for a seat. We can listen to discussion about the issues directly affecting or coming out of our communities. Thank you so much, Dee Dee. Building our own table. This time to talk about news and politics. It's precisely what I aim to do on Footnotes. So I appreciate that note, and I appreciate you, sis. Also, did you hear some new music when you when you listened to it, when you, when you came in? Thanks to Alex Hitchens for helping us with some dope beats and some new sounds for that. Also, I want to circle back to some feedback a listener and a friend gave me about the first full episode. I used the word citizen a few times in that episode, and you heard it again in the introduction. But that word can be a source of pain or tension for many people, as we deal oftentimes very poorly with immigrants coming in or attempting to come in to the country. So I'm aware that many people, for various reasons, don't have the documentation or haven't gone through the process of becoming legal citizens. In many cases, that's because the barriers are deliberately put up to make that process as difficult as possible. But when I use the word citizens, I simply mean that as people within the borders of the United States, we have a responsibility to one another, to our neighbors, no matter who they happen to be, even if they don't have the required documentation or status to be technically considered a legal citizen. They're still a human being made in the image of God. For Christians, I think too long, too many of us have taken an apolitical stance. We've looked at how complicated and divisive politics can be, and we've stepped back from it all in an attempt to stay clean or stay out of arguments. But you just can't do that. I mean, our activism is too important. So when I say citizens, I mean using your power, your vote, your voice to advocate on behalf of others. If you are a legal citizen, then use it for the flourishing of all people, even those who aren't citizens yet. Now, on to the news. Some tragic news on Saturday, May 4th, Rachel Held Evans, a Christian author, speaker, and a voice for so many, died. She was hospitalized for an infection and had a reaction that led to seizures, doctors put her in a medically induced coma from which she never woke up. 
During that time, her brain swelled and caused damage from which she could not recover, and she passed away. She was only 37 years old. She leaves behind a husband and two very young children. I found out the news on Saturday morning. I was with my friend Akemeni at the King Center, and Akemeni is very sensitive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Out of nowhere, it seemed to me, she said, I wonder how Rachel Held Evans is doing. And I said, yeah, me too. But Akemeni actually stopped and looked it up on social media. And just moments before, one of Rachel Held Evans' friends had posted the news. So we were, I think, among the very first in the public to hear about it. As the news of her death spread, I have never seen my Twitter feed focus so much on a single bit of news. Person after person after person pouring out their grief and giving tribute to this singular woman. Now, I've never met Rachel Held Evans personally, but we did have one very small interaction in November 2016, right after the presidential election. She retweeted one of my tweets where I was talking about how white evangelicals could help in the midst of so many black Christians who were feeling devastated by the election of the 45th president. Predictably, when she retweeted that, she started getting flack from the internet trolls about it, and so I sent her a DM just apologizing for the pushback she received and thanking her for amplifying my point. She never responded, but I never forgot her advocacy on this particular point. So I write in order to process. I write to know what I think about something. But this time, I didn't feel like I had the right to weigh in, like I hadn't earned it. I had things to say. Obviously, I'm saying some of them right now. Uh, And I do think that public condolences are appropriate. But this felt like a time for her close friends to memorialize her, a time for the people who actually knew her to speak up. And I wanted to make sure that they had space to do that, and I just wasn't cluttering things up. Now, some people, unfortunately, did not have that same idea. In Christianity Today, the magazine, a writer who knew Rachel Held Evans but disagreed with her uh, in terms of her political stances and, and theological stances, he wrote an article that was supposed to be a tribute, but it ended up really being all about him. He, how he basically wished that she hadn't gone down the theological road that she did and how much he had liked her husband. Now, I won't go into too much detail, but uh, Held Evans's friends were not happy because the article seemed so self-serving in this moment of really acute grief. The article has since been taken down at the author's request. All I'm trying to say is that Rachel Held Evans had an incredible, if tragically short, life. Her death is sudden. It's shocking. And maybe now is not the time for all the I disagreed with her, but I'm sad she died statements. Maybe in the face of such grief and sorrow, it's a time to be silent. So I want to do something quite strange for a podcast, and that's not to talk. Let's just have a moment of silence for Rachel Held Evans. Maybe you knew her, maybe you didn't, maybe you agreed, disagreed, whatever. Um, A human life was taken, a mother, a wife a friend to many. And so it'll be brief, but if you need to pause the podcast for longer or say a prayer, that's fine.
Rest in peace, Rachel Held Evans. Around 2 a.m. on New Year's Day, a 22-year-old black man named Oscar Grant was shot and killed by a white police officer. There had been a fight on the train in Oakland, California, in which Grant had been involved in that fight. Police were called and they started grabbing people off the train pretty much indiscriminately. Oscar Grant ended up pinned down face first on the floor at one of the train stations. And one of the officers restraining him pulled out his sidearm and shot Grant once in the back. It's a wound that ended up being fatal. Now, the officer insisted that he had meant to pull out his taser and had mistakenly pulled out his gun and fired. He was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. He served a brief jail sentence. Now, that incident was significant, obviously, because a police officer had killed yet another unarmed black man. But it was also important because it was one of the first such incidents to be caught on cell phone cameras, and it went viral. Later, the events were retold in the film Fruitvale Station, which was directed by Black Panther director Ryan Coogler, and actor Michael B. Jordan played Oscar Grant. Now, that was 10 years ago. Why bring this up now? According to a CNN news article, it says, The 10-year-old report recently released thanks to a new California police transparency law says that Bay Area Rapid Transit officer Anthony Perrone, quote, started a cascade of events that ultimately led to the shooting of Grant, and that he then lied about those events in an effort to put his own actions and conduct in a more favorable light. In other words, we got a new report a decade later that has information about the events that led up to Oscar Grant's killing that show that the officer escalated events. The article from CNN goes on to say that the officer Perone hit Grant, hit him, and used profanity and the N-word during the incident. And later, this officer lied to, in lied to investigators about Grant's actions, claiming that he hit the officer's partner and kicked the officer himself in the groin. Now, this is critical information because the officers involved made it seem like Grant had been the sole party for escalating the events and turning it into a physical altercation. In reality, he was provoked. I mean, you get called the N-word. You get hit by a police officer with a gun and a badge and see how you react. These are supposed to be officers of the peace, but they were anything but. Now, just hold on to that thought. Do you remember Sandra Bland? On July 13th, 2015, Bland, who is black, was arrested during a routine traffic stop in Texas that turned into a, a physical altercation. The event was recorded on the officer's dash cam video. That footage went viral, prompting calls of police brutality. Now, three days after her arrest, Bland was found hanging in her jail cell in what was ruled a suicide. During the traffic stop, the officer violated police procedures and was put on desk duty. Later, he lied in court about the incident, but the perjury charges were dropped because he agreed to quit the police force and to never work as a cop again. 
Well, now we have recently released footage of Sandra Bland herself recording the encounter with her own cell phone. A 39-second video shows her still in the car talking to this officer. And a New York Times article, and I'm going to be quoting here, puts it this way. What the video shows is that the officer had no reason to be in fear of his safety, said Mr. Lambert, who represented the family in a $1.9 million legal settlement. The video shows that he wasn't in fear of his safety. You could see that it was a cell phone, not a gun. He was looking right at it. And the article goes on to say that the, the officer is yelling at her. He yells, get out of the car. And he, he thrusts a, a taser toward her. And he says, I will light you up. Get out now. She says to him, I'm not on the phone. I have a right to record. This is my property. And she goes on to say, all this for a failure to signal? Wow. Wow. So the officer had insisted that he was in danger, that Sandra Bland had threatened him and that his safety was in jeopardy. But this was just not the case. Instead, the officer was belligerent, combative, disrespectful. In the face of all this, black people are expected to keep their cool. In the face of someone with a gun harassing you for minor offenses, in Bland's case, a failure to signal, you're not supposed to react at all. What these reports illustrate is that black people are blamed for their own deaths. They're the ones who should have complied. They're the ones who should not have been at a particular place or doing a particular thing. That black people themselves, the ones who ended up dead, brought it on themselves. It also illustrates a basic problem with so many people in law enforcement that they escalate a situation instead of de-escalating. As a teacher and a principal, I learned that no matter how belligerent a student or sometimes even a parent got, I had to keep my cool. I had to calm the situation down in order to find a resolution, even if that meant swallowing my pride, even if that meant looking like I was being disrespected. You have to find a way to calm the situation down. And that principle is even more true if you're authorized to use physical, even lethal force, as in the case of police officers. And the only reason we're even having this discussion is because we have video evidence. The black people involved in these incidents often end up dead, so we don't have their words or their testimony, and even if we did, would they be believed? How many other cases where we don't have video footage, have been used to exonerate officers and condemn the dead. This is why, in my opinion, criminal justice reform is one of the most pressing issues of our day. Perhaps the most pressing issue when it comes to justice. Why is criminal justice so urgent? Again, just my opinion. But criminal justice is so urgent because no other form of injustice so closely replicates the physical brutality and lethality of slavery. At the Legacy Museum in Birmingham, Alabama, which I highly encourage you to visit, at the entrance to the exhibits, it says, Slavery Evolved. It then goes on to trace the history of race-based chattel slavery on up to the present-day crisis of mass incarceration. And at every stage, the common denominators are these. When it comes to the American criminal justice system, the common denominators are anti-blackness, 
and violence. This has to change, and it has to change now. The cases of Oscar Grant and Sandra Bland are just two instances that prove the point. A bit of news about the president. On Saturday, May 4th, Jerry Falwell Jr., president of Liberty University and a vocal and unwavering supporter of President Donald Trump, posted a tweet. And here's what it said. After the best week ever for Donald Trump, no obstruction, no collusion, New York Times admits Barack Obama did spy on his campaign and the economy is soaring. I now support reparations. Trump should have two years added to his first term as payback for the time stolen by this failed coup. As if that wasn't enough, the President of the United States then retweets Falwell's message and amplifies it in another tweet saying that two years of his presidency had, quote, been stolen. Stolen. This is all kinds of wrong. First of all, Falwell Jr. has set himself up as what historian John Fia calls a court evangelical. Now, these are the cadre of prominent self-identified evangelical pastors, leaders, and public personalities who have supported Donald Trump throughout his presidency. In spite of the president's dishonesty, fear-mongering, racism, they have remained vocal and visible supporters. So Falwell, along with Paula White, is leader of the pack. Now, as we break down this tweet, first, it's the lie that the Obama administration spied on Trump. Don't believe the hype. There was an investigation during Trump's campaign. It was initiated by the FBI after they gained information that the Trump campaign had ties to Russian intelligence. So it was a completely legitimate investigation based on credible evidence, and that is a far cry from spying. But furthermore, in the tweet, Falwell Jr. is attempting to co-opt the term reparations. It's a bald and apparently successful bid at pandering to the president. Right now, for the first time in a long time, Democratic candidates for the Democratic nomination for president are talking about reparations for African descendants of slaves. People like Julian Castro are calling for a federal commission to investigate how it might be done. So it's entered the public sphere in ways that I can't ever remember it being, certainly when it comes to presidential politics. Now, for a bit of history, you can think about reparations uh, in relation to race-based chattel slavery. What race-based chattel slavery is fundamentally, it's an economically exploitative system in any capitalist endeavor, your goal is to maximize profit and minimize loss. Now, if you've ever been in charge of an organization or a budget, you know that the biggest slice of the budgetary pie goes to wages and benefits for your workers. So the best way to reduce costs is not to pay your workers. And that's what happened for 200 years with race-based chattel slavery and people of African descent is that they labored and literally built this country, including the White House, including universities and colleges, including farmlands, anything you can think of, literally built this country and never received a penny for it. Only got the bare minimum of food and clothing and shelter just enough 
to keep them productive. And after we fought a civil war over it, which remains to this day the nation's bloodiest war with the highest death count, when emancipation finally came, they still received not one bit of compensation, systemically or overall. And so this was more than 150 years ago. Uh, the nation's leaders have continued to kick the can down the road, continued to obfuscate and hem and haw that, that, that nothing financially or materially is owed to the descendants of enslaved people who continue to live in the legacy of their stolen labor. And so that's the conversation about reparations that needs to be talked about. That's a conversation that in some corners is being had. But now Falwell Jr. and the president, who along with other conservatives have been staunchly opposed to the mere mention of reparations, now they're like, yes, if reparations means keeping Trump in office longer, then we're all for it. Now, of course, this isn't even in the ballpark of the original conversations about reparations. What this is, is a frightening suggestion that an official investigation by the Department of Justice was, in fact, an injustice, that, referring to the Mueller report. An injustice so egregious that Trump should be awarded two more years in office beyond his four-year term. And it's frightening because talking heads have suggested that even if Trump loses the 2020 election, he might not go willingly. He might, for all, he might find all kinds of ways to delegitimize the election and stay in office. And rhetoric like this from Falwell Jr. only heightens this possibility. I'm not saying it will happen, but if it does, then tweets like this add fuel to the fire. Now, we, before we move on, one more bit of news about Trump. He's enjoying the highest approval ratings of his presidency. Why? Well, to borrow a phrase from a Democratic president, it's the economy, stupid. According to the latest Gallup poll, Trump has got a 46% approval rating, the highest since his term began over two years ago. Mind you, Trump is the only president in modern American history to have never hit a 50% approval rating. And that's still the case. But it's also the case that the economy grew 3.2%, which is much higher than the expected 2.1%, that the unemployment rate is at a 50-year low, and that employers added 263,000 jobs to the economy. In other words, people are working, the economy is good, and when that happens, they appreciate the leadership. The question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the price of prosperity? So while it's the case that the economy has been strong, it's also the case that white nationalism has been on the rise. School shootings continue to take lives of young students. Hate crimes are on the rise. And in the opinion of many, the Trump administration continues to stonewall Congress on legitimate issues of national security and possible crimes committed by administration officials. The Bible talks a lot about money. Perhaps the most well-known verse about money comes from 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The United States of America is the richest country in the history of the world. Much of that wealth was gained through enslaving people of African descent, 
And beyond that, American corporations have grown through the exploitation of labor in all kinds of ways. Capitalism has led to unprecedented amounts of wealth, but that wealth increasingly ends up in the hands of a few, while the many get poorer and poorer despite working hard. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, is capital more important than character? Does money matter more than justice? The president presides over a strong economy, but he continues to pull on the threads of an already fraying social fabric. Having a job and money in your pocket is important. It's not wrong to want that. But the Bible does talk about the love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money leading people away from the faith. Could the love of money get in the way of loving our neighbors? I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves as the economy soars. Okay, let's end on a bit of good news, shall we? The birth of a child. It's cause for celebration. And few births gain more attention than a royal birth. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex, Harry and Meghan, announced the birth of their first child, a healthy baby boy. He is seventh in line for the throne. And this boy's name is royal, if I've ever heard one. Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. Don't get that name twisted. When this boy gets in trouble, it's going to be a mouthful. You know how when your mama uses your middle name, that's when you know you're really in trouble? Well, Meghan Markle is going to have to take a really deep breath. <gasps> Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor, you get your butt down here right now. <laughs> in all seriousness, congratulations. It's an exciting time for the royal family. As we close out, remember to like my author page on Facebook. I'll post a link to each new episode on that page, and I'll ask some questions either in, a, in the podcast or on the Facebook post, and we'll start a discussion. I want you to leave your questions, ask comments, ask more questions, and let's, let's form a little footnotes community. So that's facebook.com forward slash Jamar Tisby one. That's facebook.com forward slash Jamar Tisby and the number one. Lastly, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show. This really increases our visibility, lets others know what we're doing. Don't delay. Just takes two or three minutes. Do it now and you won't ever have to worry about it again. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jamar Tisby, and this is Footnotes. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.